following audio is from a sermon series on the book of Proverbs. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit scmoline.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Proverbs 9. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beast. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, You alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, This summer we've been going through a series on the book of Proverbs. That's what we typically do at Sacred City Church. We usually choose a book of the Bible and we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through entire books of the Bible. Uh, We're doing something like that with Proverbs where we're sort of, we went through Proverbs, Proverbs is all about wisdom and so we're like talking what is wisdom, Uh, how do you get it, how do you live wisely and then we've we've been taking a couple of weeks to look at some character profiles of what a a wise person is like, what a foolish person is like, sort of the antithetical this is not that sort of a thing. Uh, And so we've been doing these character studies uh, and really what these character studies are is, is a the flushing out of or the embodiment of the wise person and the foolish person. And what we see in Proverbs is that there's more than one way to be an idiot. We've been talking about this the last couple weeks. We're talking about the indulgent fool, the scoffer. Uh, we'll take a look in the next couple weeks about the wicked and the sluggard. Today we're going to take a look at the simpleton. Now the danger here when we take a look at these character profiles is that we weaponize these. That we use this as sort of a category or a grid to look at somebody, maybe in our missional community, somebody we work with, somebody in our neighborhood, and say, oh yeah, you're definitely that kind of fool, right? You're, you're, you're like this. I see these characteristics about you, and I, I just want to label you, and I'll put you in this box. Now, let, let me just warn you if, you, if you're doing that, this is pharisaical, right? That's what the Pharisees would do, and Jesus had a lot of condemning words for the Pharisees. Uh, religious people tend to do that, to, to have this external view when it comes to these things and start labeling people because they, they're, they're operating out of uh, insecurities, Right? They're doing it as a mean to self-validate. Now, that, that's not what we're trying to do here. 
Now, now these character profiles are first and foremost, are are meant to be a a mirror that we hold up to ourselves, a mirror that that we take a, a deep look into, and if we do an honest examination, it helps us to recognize the faces and forms of foolishness that are staring right back at us. Now, this isn't masochistic. We're not trying to get down on ourselves. We're not trying to make ourselves feel stupid because we're, we're not valuable or, or we got nothing better to do. This is, this is self-actualizing. And self-actualizing, seeing yourself accurately is the first step of getting to where you want to go. Th- think of it like on a map, right? If you want to go, if you want to get to, if you want to get to Kansas City, right, you got to know your starting point. If you want to get to your destination, you have to know where you are so you can take the, the correct turns. And that's what we're doing. We're taking a look at ourselves, trying to get an accurate read on, on what we tend to do or, or our foolish tendencies so that we can have direction and a way forward to who and what we want to be. And, and I think that we could agree that nobody wants to be a fool. We'd like to be wise. And it's only when we take a look at ourselves and do some self-examination that we can start to think as disciple makers, not, not as critics, but disciple makers, people who want to help others take the step in the right de- toward the right de- destination. And what we see here as we come to chapter nine this week, we're taking a little bit of a different angle than last week where we looked at the scoffer, we're looking at the simpleton, and what... And what Proverbs chapter 9 is trying to do with us is to move us from the shallows of being a simpleton into the depths of flourishing as prudent people. Now you might be thinking, what, what's wrong with being simple? What, what's wrong with simplicity, right? Simplicity seem, seems good. Nobody looks at their lives and says, you know what would really help me out if, if we could comp- make my life a little bit more complex. Nobody says that, right? We, we like simple recipes. We want banking to be simple, uh, technology. You're, the way that you look at life, how do I simplify? In fact, I ask myself that often. How do I simplify my life? It seems like it's already complex. How do I go about simplifying it? Now, when we look at Proverbs, we've got to understand here, Proverbs isn't knocking, isn't discounting or looking down on simplicity, it's, Proverbs is not elevating complexity and confusion in our life. That's not what's going on. No, the, the superpower of wisdom is to take profound and complex things and make them understandable, right? To, to frame complex, profound things up in a simple, digestible way. And I think that's the beauty of the book of Proverbs, that it's meant to help us look at the complexities of life and help us untangle and declutter ourselves, It helps us make sense of the world that we live in. It helps us to navigate here. And so what we're looking at today, what's being addressed in Proverbs chapter 9 is not simplicity in in the positive form. It's addressing the danger of simple-mindedness. It's addressing the danger of being a simpleton. Now, Derek Kidner, who's a commentator on this passage, he he gives us a definition of the simpleton like this. He says, just to sum it up, the simpleton is easily led, they're gullible, they're silly. Mentally, he's naive, he's willful, They're, they're persistent in their own ways, and they can be irresponsible. Now, when I hear this definition, 
there's one caricature. There's one, one person that comes to mind here. And, and I just got to let you know, I'm a huge fan of The Office. It seems like every time, every time I, I write a sermon, I've got three or four or five illustrations that I could just grab from The Office. And so far in my pastorate here, I think I've refrained from doing that. Just out of, out of the, the, the respect for those people who don't understand or don't appreciate The Office. And listen, I just got to say that it, if you don't like The Office, uh, you're dead to me, right? <laughs> You're dead to me. Because I think that for me, the office is like, uh, behind the Bible is like the second uh, most helpful canon for me to make sense, to, 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 to look at life and, and give it some language here. Um, but so uh, to say that, but it's going to take, for us to be friends, it's going to take the gospel, right? I love you, even though you don't love the office. Um, but if there's ever a moment that calls for a reference to the office, it's, it's this, this topic of the simpleton. And rather than trying to explain something to you, uh, I'm going to give you a treat here. And I've got a little clip that I want to show you. So Phil recruited me to sell these cards, and now I am recruiting you. Who is this guy again? Don't worry about Phil. He drives a Corvette. He's doing just fine. Okay. Calling cards are... The wave of the future. These things sell themselves. Who uses calling cards anyway? You know what? That's a nice attitude, Ryan. I'm just helping you invest in your future, my friend. This sounds like a get-rich-quick scheme. Yes, thank you. You will get rich quick. We all know Bill. <laughs> Didn't you lose a lot of money on that other investment, the one from the email? You know what, Toby? When the son of the deposed king of Nigeria emails you directly asking for help, you help. His father ran the freaking country, okay? <laughs> all right, so... Raise your hand if you want to get rich. All right. No, um, how is this not a pyramid scheme? All right, let me explain again. <laughs> Phil has recruited me and another guy. Now, we are getting three people each. The more people that get involved, the more people who are investing, the more money we're all going to make. It's not a pyramid scheme. It is a, it's not even a scheme, per se. It's... Thanks, guys. Oh, man. I love that stuff. It's so funny. And we can sit here. We can look at Michael Scott. And there, there's, something, there's something about Michael Scott that you, you don't see people who are exactly like him, but you see people who are similar enough to, for that to be a funny character. And we can, we can just sit here and laugh at him. And really, I think Michael Scott is, is a great case study for the simpleton. He, he's gullible, right? Uh, he said, when the, the disposed, or when the son of the disposed king of Nigeria emails you directly, that won't happen. Like no, nobody, no disposed king of Nigeria is going to reach out and ask for help. Right, Proverbs fourteen fifteen says that the simple believes everything, and he says, "Oh, it's a get rich quick scheme." Like, really, you're going to get rich quick on calling cards? See, they're, they're deceived. The simpleton can't see past the surface. They can't see past the allure of the situation, right? Michael Scott is dazzled by this dude who drives a Corvette. Proverbs 1.11 gives even more of a dimension here to the simpleton. He says that the simpleton is unable to think for themselves. And this makes them susceptible to a mob mentality. And this is what I mean by that. Um, they're, they're easily persuaded, they, they don't think for themselves, and so they can become sheep. 
Right? They just follow along with the trends of culture. They follow along with what everybody else is doing. They can't think for themselves. They never ask the questions that, that maybe would stop them from doing something foolish. They're thinking everybody else does it, so it must be okay. And with the simpleton comes a little bit of ignorant optimism. They, they can't ever calculate the downside. They, they see all the advantages, all of the gain, but they don't see any of the loss, any of the risk. And so they lack foresight. Proverbs 7 tells us the simple are without sense. Now, you and I might say, oh, well, that's common sense, right? They, they're, they, they're unable to think for themselves. But this isn't just an intellectual thing in that they lack sense. Th- this also means that they lack heart, Their allegiance is easily stolen because of their grass is greener mentality. And this mentality always keeps them from seeing things through, right? From from sticking or or having loyalty and being dependable. We might look at the the simpleton in the face and just be baffled. Like, because in a lot of ways, it's like, do you not have common sense? We can ask them, why are you the way that you are? Somebody else watches The Office. That was a reference there. Now, unlike the scoffer we saw last week, and we see in in verses 7 through 12, the scoffers, the way that they are, typically out of arrogance or pride, rebellion. But with the the simple, their naivete, I can't say that right, their naiveness, is initially, at least initially, due to their youth. You see, everyone starts with the lack of relational, cognitive, emotional, and spiritual perception, depth perception. Like everybody starts at sort of ground zero of, in the world of naiveness. And little by little, with time and experience and the grace of God, we are meant to grow out of it and become wise. Develop prudence. So if you're like looking at a kid, you're looking at a preteen, like why, why, why are you the way that you are? It's because they're young. But there are some people who have had the advantage of age and experience, yet they're still simple-minded. They don't grow out of it. And they keep their simple ways oftentimes because it's convenient. It's easier to live in a world where you're simple-minded than it is to think things through, right? There's the saying, ignorance is bliss. It's easier to be oblivious than it is to be thoughtful. It's easier for us to do what feels right, to, to do what seems natural, than to think out the implications. It's easier to go with our gut reaction, even when a lot of times those probably aren't the best. It's more convenient to make a mess and have somebody else clean it up than to prevent the mess in the first place. Now for those people who who should have grown up, who have had the opportunity of age and experience to grow up but still haven't, what happens is they they stumble around in a three-dimensional world as if it's only two-dimensional. It's almost cartoonish, actually. I mean, like Michael Scott, it's kind of cartoonish. It's like Homer Simpson or Elmer Fudd. It makes for good entertainment. It's funny from a distance. 
but it's a terrible way to live. And it's really hard to be friends with people who are like this. Because eventually, the simple-minded nature of someone or yourself is going to grind you down. If you're constantly caught up in your simple-mindedness, it's going to feel like you're behind in life, that you're always playing catch-up. Not to mention it's hard on others. People are, you're, you're depleting their emotional and physical resources. Like, there, there's a reason Michael Scott doesn't have friends, right? It, it's really challenging to be friends with somebody like that. Now, not only is it just challenging and it grinds you down, being simple-minded is spiritually and morally dangerous, right? It it takes you out of like this comfort zone, like there's a natural danger to living that that we all kind of get accustomed to. But but when you're living in the simple-minded nature, you move into the red zone. It's not inherently sinful, to be simple-minded, right? Just to be youthful in your awareness of of life and how you navigate things is not inherently sinful, but to be simple-minded, to be the simpleton makes you uh, susceptible to sin and schemes of evil in a way that the wise person is more resistant to. It's as if For the simple person, their moral compass is broken. Like a magnet is set upon their moral compass and it's just spinning around. There's no way to make sense of things. Their judgment is clouded. They can't see the nuance of what is right and what is wrong. And so temptation feels exceptionally strong. Proverbs 22 tells us because of this, because of this, the the moral and spiritual implications of the simpleton is that it makes them likely to walk right into danger. Sometimes they don't know it. Sometimes they do know, and they still go in anyway. And they're going to suffer for it. Proverbs one thirty two says that the simple are killed by their ways. Now, what we need to know, the loving cry, the, the loving plea of parenting and of discipleship is in the same attitude, in the same language as Proverbs one twenty two that says, how long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will you insist on being stuck, being duped, being taken advantage of? How long will this carry on? And it's not this, it's not this angry, uh, really disappointed, frustrated, agitated acknowledgement of the reality. No, 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 it, it's an invitation. See, what we're told in Proverbs 1 is Lady Wisdom cries aloud from the streets. She's, she's offering an invitation. Come. Come wise up. Come, come gain insight from me. And when you think about it, godly parenting and disciple making is the same attitude. It's not this frustrated, angry, resentful attitude. Like, like as parents, we can expect our kids to be foolish and make dumb decisions. 
in disciple making. We can ex- expect people to make foolish. You shouldn't be surprised in a missional community when people are making dumb decisions. Because it happens. But parenting and disciple making is a matter of passing on a biblical worldview that helps people navigate the world. It's a matter of of giving in a gentle and loving way wisdom that is meant to be advantage to the people who receive it. We're saying, here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to be like to flourish. Right? Here's what you need to win in life. Now, this is exactly what Solomon has been doing uh, with his son, his adolescent son, through the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs. And you see this especially here in chapters 7, 8, and 9. He, he's telling his son, listen, son, you got two suitors. There, there are two ladies who are after you. Now, any 16-year-old boy would be pumped up about this, right? Somebody say hallelujah. But I got, I, we got some teenage boys back there. You'd be pumped up about this, right? But Solomon is telling his son, listen, there, there's, there's more than meets the eye going on here. Right? There's more than it appears. Now, superficially, they might be similar in appearance, Right? Maybe they're blonde hair, blue eyes. She's got a great smile. They, they look similar. But Psalm is saying that there's more than meets the eye here. That there's something sinister going on with one and there's something life-giving going on with the other. They have different intentions for you. So pay attention, look past the service, and choose wisely. He says, look, look, this first girl that's chasing you, she's sweet. She's just, she's beautiful, inside and out. She loves Jesus. She's smart, she's thoughtful, she's kind. She's so humble. And she just has this life-giving, she's invigorating. Man, that sounds like a nice girl. Girl number two, on the other hand, says, look, look out, man. He, she's pretentious. She's seductive. In fact, if you look at If you look at where she starts talking about this in in verse 13, she says she's seductive. She knows nothing. In fact, that that there's a little number three, at least in the ESV translation here, that says that that seductive. She's she's full of simpleness. She's reckless. She's she's a little bit crazy. She's exhausting. She's depleting. She's manipulative and she's rude. Now. As Solomon's talking to his son about the, the, these two ladies, they're, they're not literal ladies. The, these two ladies that Solomon is pointing, uh, presenting are, are the personifications of wisdom and foolishness. And he tells him, look, son, they're both making their advances. They're, they're trying to get after you. And they do this by sending an invitation to the simple Say, hey, come in and join the party. Now, last week, Steve did a great job of showing us the similarities here of these parties, these two banquets that are going on. One, uh, in sort of the superficial realm, they, they look kind of similar, right? There's, there's music, there's dancing, there's food, there's drink. But when you really look and examine, they're, they're, they couldn't be more opposite. 
And so in, in verses 13 through 18, Solomon peels back the veneer here of suitor number two, of, of lady folly, as we'll call her, though she's not very ladylike. He says in 13, this, this woman folly, she's loud. She's seductive, she's shallow, she knows nothing. She's a distraction. She sits at the door of her house, this is verse 14, and she takes a seat on the highest place in the town, calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. Listen, he's saying, this lady, she's a distraction. She flaunts her sensuality. She's a saboteur. She's like a, a, a hunter who baits a trap. She doesn't really care what falls into the trap. She just wants something to land in the trap. And so she baits it and invites the simple, those who are most uh, ignorant or, or, or susceptible to this temptation. And she says, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Bread eaten in secret is pleasant. She, she, you can see the sinister nature. She, she's stealing water. Oh, this stolen water, it's, it's so good. There's something so good about it. It feels good to do the wrong thing. She says, oh, bread and eaten in secret. This, this secretive sort of mentality where I kind of hide, kind of indulge in secrecy. Don't bring anything to the light. That, that's something nice about that. You should just do it. You should indulge. We see that her preparations for her party, they're cheap. She stole the water for crying out loud. She's got bread, right? It's like here are a couple of saltines and a cup of a thimble of water. She's operating in secrecy under the radar, trying to keep things under wraps. And this bad girl, Folly, she knows how to push the buttons of the simple. She says, come in here, act, act now, follow your heart. It's your life, do what you want. Do what feels right to you. And because of the simple's untethered optimism, they can't see past the surface of her invitation. Like, oh, party, cool. They lack the foresight. And because of that, Folly... This, this bad girl folly has a lot of bones in her closet. The simple are susceptible. It says in verse 18, but he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Now, that, that's a poetic way to say she makes your life a living hell. She's going to ruin your life. She's going to take advantage of you. She's a predator. Here's the reality, that that the simple are always only one decision away from complete catastrophe. You realize that? You're always only 30 seconds away from making the worst decision of your life. And she preys on that. Now, when we see the simpleton, when we, when we lay out all the characteristics of the simpleton, it's easy for us to sort of deflect that and say, you know, I, I don't, I'm either unwilling or I just can't see that in my own life, but here, here's what I, I do see that in somebody else's life. I see how they, they've been doing that. But here's the deal. Bad girl folly is probably more involved in your life than you realize. 
She, she's so good at disguising herself in the most subtle and socially acceptable ways. She is hidden in that upward career move that takes you out of community and out of mission. She's hidden in watching that entertaining yet suggestive content that turns into a gateway for porn. She's disguised in the way that our kids' sports, dance, and music activities hijacks our calendar and turns us into busy people. She's disguised in how you might want to flippantly spend your money, only looking at the short-term instant gratification and not thinking in down the road in your future, let alone eternally. She's hidden in those conversations where you can't hold your tongue from gossip and you just speak without a filter. And listen, she's hidden inside of your political allegiance. Now, no, no one wants to fall into the trap of bad girl folly, right? It, it, it leads to despair, destruction. So the question is, how do we avoid it? How do we escape her voice that's crying out from the streets? And the key The key to escaping her call is in verse 10. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We've we've heard this a couple times so far in this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Now, what is that? What is this exactly? What is fear of the Lord? You know what that is? That's self-realizing in its most basic way. It's self-realizing that I'm not God, that you're not God. God is God. God is all-knowing. He's omniscient. He is, he is the, why, the source of wisdom. He's wisdom itself. And so when I look and I see God as that, I can look at myself and say, look, I'm not that. I aspire to be like that. But that's, I mean, I'm not all wise. I'm not all knowing. In fact, if you want to look at it bluntly, I'm a bit of a dummy. Right? I, I mean, I, I've got a whole resume of poor decisions that I've made. I, I've got a catalog of foolish choices. And I know you do too. There's a lot of examples where I've lacked spiritual depth perception. A lot of examples where I've lacked relational depth perception, where where I don't see how my actions or my thoughts or what I say affects other people. And so this, the fear of the Lord, is is acknowledging that I've got blind spots. I've got got vulnerabilities. There are holes in my awareness, which God doesn't have, but I do. And when we start out with this point, when we see this reality, it puts us on the path to wisdom. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But you'll notice if you go through the book of Proverbs, there's a beginning to wisdom, but there's no finish line. 
This is a lifelong pursuit. That means that no matter where you are in life, we're constantly striving. We constantly need to be self-realizing that God is God and I'm not. That we need to be conforming our world and our, our insight around God's world, the way that God sees things. That we need to be forming our worldview around what the scriptures say and what God has revealed to us. Now part of this is turning to other people who are on the same journey. Like, like turning and looking to people who are in the pursuit of wisdom themselves, turning to trusted community, people who are willing to help us in the area of our inexperience, people who are willing to help us navigate and say, you know what, I love you, but that's a foolish decision. I love you, but this is not gonna go well for you. And for us to, to sit there and to receive that, not get defensive, not to fight back, but say, you know what, I'm going to defer to your wisdom, especially if they have experience with it. See, because a lot of times it's the, God, the people that God puts in our life that serve as these warning beacons for us. They're the, they're the ones who point out the snares and the traps of living simply. And they offer us a pathway to wisdom. Now, just like Solomon tells his kid, hey, son, look, you got to look past the surface. you, you got to see the substance. you got to see what's going on underneath, the thing beneath the thing. There's, there's another voice calling, and she, she like, actually wants you. She, she's got a heartfelt invitation, and it's a life-giving invitation at that. You can look at this in... in Proverbs 9, verse 1 through 6, wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beast, her beast, not somebody else's. She has mixed her wine. She didn't steal water. She's also set her table. She's made preparations. She sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come Eat of my bread and drink of my wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live. Now, if you put these two women side by side here, you can see a vast difference. Lady Wisdom is stable. She's got her own house. She's not living in the cardboard slums. And you see the superior quality to what she offers. Listen, when it says... She's got a house and she's got seven pillars in her house. Like, I don't have any pillars in my house. Do you have pillars in your house? You know who has pillars in her house? Royalty. Kings, queens. She, she's, got, she's got a dope mansion. She said, come in. There's a superior quality. She's offering a true beauty, a robust experience. And on top of that, she's actually got nourishment for her. She's mixing her wines. Now, when I first read that, I thought, okay, she's, she's watering it down. That's not what she's doing. She's taking spices, the finest spices, and putting it into her wine. She's mixing it up to pull out the flavor. She's prepared her own, her own cattle for you to eat, to, to, to delight in, to eat. She set a table just for you. You got a name card there. And unlike bad girl folly who calls the simple in so she can take from them, Lady Wisdom calls that she can give. 
Leave your simple ways, verse six says, and live and walk in the way of insight. She wants to give you life. She wants for you to leave your simple ways to pursue wisdom and lay hands on life. She's saying your future's bright. And this is an invitation, not, not for the people who are already wise. This is not, not just an invitation for people who can make sense of the world. It's an invitation for the simple, for the foolish people. She's saying, come and cross the threshold. Sit down at my table. There is no prerequisite for this meal. And so no matter how foolish, no matter how simple-minded you are, you can get in on this. This invitation is based solely on the kindness and goodness of Lady Wisdom. And listen, when when you sit down at feast at Lady Wisdom's table... Here's what happens. You start learning from her. You start becoming like her. Instead of somebody who takes, you're somebody who contributes. She becomes your reliable teacher. She transforms your simple mind and makes you prudent and shrewd. Now, shrewd is, the reason why I think this, I think initially we hear the word shrewd is like, oh, that sounds bad because it rhymes with crude, shrewd and crude. It's not the same thing. Shrewd is a sharpness in decision-making. Prudence is the ability to make good character and judgment calls. And you sit at the table, and she starts investing in you. It tells us in Proverbs 8, 12, wisdom dwells with prudence. There's a healthy consciousness now, or a healthy cautiousness even, in the way that we navigate life. We become less naive, that that our judgments become more sharp. Chapter 14 of Proverbs says that she gives knowledge and insight. She helps us to now think clearly, to think through the implications, not to just take things at face value, but to consider the nuance of our decisions. Think about how it affects our lives and our future. Think about how it impacts people in our lives, relationally, physically, what sort of resources it draws from them on. Helps you think of the long game. You sit at Lady Wisdom's table and she starts fixing your moral compass. She helps you distinguish between what is right and what's wrong and she gives you the integrity to be loyal and dependable to goodness. And above that, she gives us the ability not to walk in to trouble like the simple does, but to take cover, to walk the opposite direction, sometimes even to run away. See, in other words, if you sit down at Lady Wisdom's table, if you take her up on her invitation, you gain moral, emotional, relational, and spiritual depth perception. It means that you start seeing things the way they really are. It gives you the ability to navigate life's nuances, the complexities, and as you're able to do that, you start to live. You start to flourish, and and the trajectory is nothing but up. Verse 11, it says, for by me, your days, by me is wisdom. By wisdom, your days will be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. She wants to give you this upward trajectory here. 
Now, a common mistake when we come to the book of Proverbs is that people come to it and, and they grab their little nugget of truth, they, they grab their little nugget of wisdom, and they, they just take that by itself and it quickly becomes a, a moralistic weapon. Right? It turns us into, if we, just, if we just read the book of Proverbs and say, this is what I should do, this is what I shouldn't do, it turns us into little moralists. It makes us religious people. But the book of Proverbs isn't meant to make us religious and moralistic people. It's made to make us gospel-centered people. Because every aspect of of chapter 9 of Proverbs points us to Jesus. It's a launch pad, not a landing destination. Now, one of my heroes of the faith, a pastor that I look up to a lot, Ray Ortland, he, he has this gospel mantra And I think it really sums up perfectly uh, what's going on in Proverbs 9 and leads us to Jesus in a really helpful way. Let me share it with you. And this is something I think you should commit to memory. There's three parts. Number one, I'm a complete idiot. Number two, my future is incredibly bright. Number three, anyone can get in on this. Now, a lot of times people get stuck at number one, right? It's really hard to admit that I'm an idiot. We get defensive, argumentative. Our first inclination is to push back instead of to see ourselves as we are. But like I said, we all have a catalog of the foolish decisions we've made. Our sin is proof of our incompetence. Our sin is proof of our idiocracy. In this way, we are all spiritual simpletons, right? That's what it means to be a sinner. You're spiritual simpleton. That we are so short-sighted that a lot of times we start cozying up with this, this, the witch of folly. We make bad decisions. We turn our backs on God's. On God. But what you have to realize is that every time we do that, every time we turn to sin and turn away from God, within that sin is a ticket to hell. I, I mean that in sort of like a literal way. Like if you were to take that sin and multiply it to eternity, it would land you in misery for eternity. But that the one little sin or even if you get the myriad of sin that's really going on in your life, you, you realize the implications of it almost immediately, that sin can make your life a living hell. It gums up the works. It makes things complicated. It compounds the brokenness. Now, what's contradictory or paradoxical, not contradictory, paradoxical about this, this whole mantra is when you go from number one to number two. You say, I'm a complete idiot, and you see that within every sin is the potential for hell, and then number two says, my future is incredibly bright. That seems to be quite paradoxical, right? In fact, if you think about Proverbs, there's a major principle here that you reap what you sow. And so if, if, if sinners are sowing sin, foolishness. How good is it that we can have an incredibly bright future? The gospel says, by faith, you reap 
what Jesus sows. See, that's the gospel. That you don't get what you deserve, you get what Jesus deserved. And Jesus deserved life to the fullest. Jesus deserved every single reward that should come from living a wise life. That days would be added to his, his years would be added to his life. Because Jesus was able to, as he walked this earth, he was able to see past the veneer of sin. Jesus was never duped. Jesus was the most prudent and shrewd person to walk the earth. And instead of getting the reward of wisdom, Jesus willingly had his days cut short. When he was 30-something, this Jesus of Nazareth was taken to the cross. He, He took on the spiritual death that fools, that simpletons like you and me deserve to take for our own foolish mistakes. And what happens He takes our death, he gives us his life. The reward becomes ours. Ephesians 2 tells us that we have immeasurable riches in Christ. That what he's given us is more than just like good vibes, little little bit of money here and there or whatever it is. Jesus has given us something that's immeasurable. That we've been invited to the banquet feast in the new heavens, new earth. And there we have the abundant life, the eternal life. So it's in that way that when we believe the gospel, our future becomes incredibly bright. Number three, anyone can get in on it. See, just like Lady Wisdom invites the fools, the the people who are seemingly undeserving, God's love is devoted for undeserving sinners. God's love is handcrafted for people like you and me, people who would walk away from God time and time again. Yet he's calling us back. And it's not based on any merit. It's not based on our own wisdom or ability to get things put together, to turn our lives around. This invitation, this this love that God pours out on us is based solely on God's goodness and his mercy. See, this is why anybody can get on it. It doesn't matter what life you, let, you, you had a day ago, 10 years ago. It's available for you, and it costs you nothing, but it costs Jesus everything, and it was a sacrifice he was willing to make. That's good news for fools. That's good news for the simple-minded people, the spiritual simpleton. Now, if you understand this, if you understand this gospel mantra, if you're able to, to really get it down deep in your heart, you become liberated. You're freed from posturing. You're able to now see yourself rightly and actually take, take legitimate steps towards growth, becoming a wise person. It means that you're not going to have to be stuck as a fool forever, thank God. You're no longer... A sheep following the culture or your political party or your gut or what feels right. See, the more time you spend with Jesus, the more you become like him because he becomes your teacher, your rabbi. Not only is he your savior, he's showing you how to live this life here and now. And so no longer do we follow the patterns of the world, we now follow the good shepherd who leads us to green pastures and sets us beside still waters, 
who nourishes our soul. And just like Lady Wisdom, as she sends out her women into the the high places in the city to, to, to proclaim the invitation, God is sending us now See, if, you, if you've received the invitation, if you believe that you're a complete idiot, that your future's incredibly bright and that you got in on this, not on your own, uh, but because of the grace of God, you've been sent out now. You have everything you need to live as a missionary because there are, are people in our city who are just being crushed by foolish decision. There are people who are being duped by the schemes of, of our enemy. And God is inviting them into a robust and abundant life. Anyone's welcome. If you have not put your faith in Jesus, I want to tell you that right now, God's love is for you. That he's making an invitation for you now to come, to taste, to see his goodness. That he has plans to prosper you, not to hold you back. For those who believe the gospel, for those who who have put their faith in Christ, who have been baptized, we're going to come forward now and, and take part of this meal, the Lord's Supper that God's given us. I love the Lord's Supper because it does two things. I mean, it probably does a lot more things, but two things off the top of my head. One, three things. I'm going to say three things. One, it reminds us the sacrifice of Jesus, right? That, that should have been my body broken, my blood spilled, but Jesus took it for me. Reminds me of that. Two, it points me forward to the day where I'll get to enter into the banquet hall in the new heavens, new earth, to sit down at the table, to feast, to eat, to drink, right? to to join the party. And three, it sustains us, it fuels us right here and right now. There's something supernatural as we take what seems like the elements of of bread and wine. There's something supernatural that happens where God is sustaining us to go out to live, to live wisely, but to live as missionaries, proclaiming that the love of God is for anybody and for everybody who would cling to him, who would trust in him, who would turn, who would leave their simple ways and follow God. Father, we thank you. We don't deserve this invitation. You give it so freely. And it came at great cost to you and no cost to us. And what a, what a picture of grace. We ask God that you would make us wise people. Help us to leave our simple ways, our, our, our spiritual, uh, relational, cognitive simplicity and move toward insight. Move toward wisdom, not just, not just in an intellectual way, but deep down in our hearts that we would be shaped as men and women of, of deep character, equipped to live in a way that leads to our flourishing. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>